But I will take the phone out of the the bag. The bag. The the thing, you know, the what's it, the doodah, the hoojima. The bag. The 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 thing of me. The the bag. The bag. The bag. That bag there. The bag. Yeah. What do you call it? Case. Case. The case. <laughs> like I said, the case. <laughs> sticking right in my leg I was gonna say the back of my shoulder actually I just couldn't, okay yeah I couldn't sure. think of the word it's like that shoulder blade there yeah, it's yeah, just like yeah. there's a I say branch I mean actually it's not a branch it's a piece of furniture but we're in the uh <laughs> we are in the virtual we're in the virtual clearing. virtual what's it clearing campfire so I'm saying branch in order to maintain the appropriate ambience <laughs> you see this is how committed I am to this, whatever this is, program. Podcast. Podcast. This is how committed I am. Even in the midst of terrible pain and discomfort, I'm still thinking, I'm still thinking, how can I make this more immersive an experience for the listener? Well, I think the listeners are right in it, to be honest. Probably. <laughs> Have a coffee. Are you settled in? I'm settled in. Got your cuppa. Yeah, me and my yeah. coffee are fine. Yeah. Settled into a nice comfy place. Got moved that branch, whatever it was. I've I've shuffled. Shuffled. I've shuffled. Okay. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. <laughs> Just a little bit. Okay. And I'm relatively branch free now. Branch free. Mm. Just like my bank. <laughs> 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 Should we do a Frithcast? Let's do that. Okay. Hello, lovely listeners. Hello. Welcome to episode 82 of Frithcast. Is it 82? Welcome around the virtual campfire. Are we on we 82? Did... We counted, didn't we? Yeah. We did the, the you did the story we thing did last the story time. time so, yeah, last yeah, time. Yeah, 82 it is. So that makes this one 82. And yeah, that. The okay. one after story time. Welcome around the virtual campfire. You've done the warm your knees thing, haven't you? No, not yet. You go ahead and do it. Welcome around the virtual campfire. Make yourself at home. Shuffle up close to the fire. Warm your knees. Not too close. Maintain proper, obviously. Knee distance. Proper, proper appropriate distancing. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, still, you can get in close enough to warm your knees. Have a marshmallow if you're feeling hard enough. <laughs> That's a question. You can't really... <laughs> You can't really refuse a come and, like that, can Come you? and have a marshmallow if you think you're hard enough. No. <laughs> now, I'm actually offering them out um, uh, freely for uh, all our friends. I'm keeping a couple back for me. Mm-hmm. Just a couple. One for you, seven for me. One for, the, one for the lasagna, one for me, one for the lasagna, one for me. Yeah. 
I was thinking about Quark paying Rom. Oh, yes, he was. On payday. One for you, seven for me. Oh, one for you, six for me, wasn't one it? One for you, six for me. And then Rom says, oh, it's not fair. And, and, and he says, you know, brother, you're right. It's not fair. One for you, seven for me, one for you. Yeah, and he's just like, oh, not good, not good. <laughs> that so yep. yeah grab a coffee grab a bun warm your knees come and settle in welcome around the virtual campfire i'm suzanne martin i'm a heathen with a head full of stuff that's concise thanks um Who's i'm going for concise tonight i'm kate i'm not a heathen i'm a i'm a druidy thing um coffee powered generally speaking mm. um and i have a head full of different stuff far less useful I don't know. Yeah. Nah. I mean, to right. be fair, it's mostly Star Trek. It's all good. And Star Black Trek Adder. and Elite Dangerous and Blackadder, and that's really about it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of all I know. <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> no, it isn't. I can quote Red Dwarf <laughs> back to front. Mm-hmm. Series one and two, anyway. And, yes, I'm Blackadder. The, the main shows, not the specials. I don't really... I've really got into those. Too mainstream. Too mate. I was yeah. I was, I was watching Blackadder before it was cool. Um. <laughs> you were watching Blackadder before it was colour. <laughs> Harsh. But fair. Yeah, you're probably not far off actually. Oh yeah, we're the same age, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I suppose there is that. Welcome. To Frithcast 82. What are we talking about this week? We have a topic for today. Mm-hmm. And I thought we'd have a look at Mimir. Mimir? character we find in the mid-cycle. And memory. Okay. Memory kind of crops up in some very odd places, so I thought we'd explore those two together. All right. What memory means to the people in the sagas, what it might mean to us now, mm. what the differences are, what knowledge we might look at and get us kind of having an explore of some of the times it crops up in the sagas, yeah. what they associate it with and what whether those values are the same as the ones we use now or whether they're different ones now. Mm. Okay. This was my thought. Good thinking. Okay. So Vikings, the people who go a Viking in the Viking Age um, are primarily an oral culture. Okay. So they tend to speak things to remember them. Hmm. So no books, no internet, not really a I'm... whole lot of writing things down till later. Are you telling me that there was no internet in the 8th and 9th century? Not even dial-up. Wow. I know. Not even AOL. Uh-uh. Crikey. Not going there. <laughs> no, like, AOL... Slash Viking message boards. It's not <laughs> happening. Anybody up for a raid on Frankia? <laughs> yeah, no. So it's an oral culture. It's not written. So the sagas and stories like Beowulf, which we've covered before, way back in the mists of what's it, are meant to be listened to. They're meant to be heard. They're meant to be recited. And that's the way you con uh, consume them almost. Hence the first word of Beowulf, being. at least at least in some renditions, mm -hmm. traditionally being, wet, listen, yes, although Seamus Heaney translates it as so, 
Yeah. Which is like a break in the conversation where you say, so, and then you change the topic. So he uses that little tiny word to break wherever the listeners are and take them into this new topic. Which is actually interesting because it's, it's a very old example of something that happens an awful lot nowadays. Yeah. Which is whenever somebody's being interviewed... And they are, it doesn't matter who they are, politician, business person, scientist, uh, uh, expert person, expert on anything or, 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 or actor or whoever it might be. They'll be asked a question. Can you tell us about such a thing? And they will always start with, so. Yeah. And then carry Pay on attention. The, and, and then go on and do their I'm answer. I'm going to tell you a thing. Hmm. So, yeah, Seamus Heaney translated. So the Anglo-Saxons so. were doing that. They, they they did well. <laughs> Seamus Heaney did that. That's how he translates the word. But the word doesn't have one single translation. So many translate it as listen, hmm. as in pay attention. Um, but Ooh. Seamus Heaney goes with so. Just another thing, slightly off at a tangent. Because we never do those. And this is and this is only my understanding. Anybody who anybody listening to us who actually speaks Latin will no doubt want to correct me on this. Okay. But as I understand it, other makes of motor vehicle are available but audi i believe is the latin imperative instruction to listen i am commanding you to Aud- listen audi audi yes huh. i just thought i'd mention it okay cool volvo means i roll and that's how i roll and that is how i roll okay going back to memory Okay, fair enough. And I'd forgotten we were doing that. Mimir. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I had to. I'm sorry. I know we had to get it out of the way. I thought I might we as did. well do it. Early. I know. We're probably going to do it again at some point. I'll try not episode. to. <laughs> you forget you've done it once. You're going to do it again. <laughs> probably. <laughs> what are we doing again? Exactly. Uh. So, memory to 8th, 9th and 10th century people is orality, not literacy. Okay. So it's the spoken word. Memory is attached to the repeating of the spoken word, repetition of it. So you'll hear a myth cycle story once and you'll start remembering it. You hear it again and again and again in maybe slightly different variations, but you'll hear the same basic story structure. Yeah. You start remembering what that story is. Now, for us, it's more literacy based than orality. Mm. We read things and we remember. Okay. We don't often gather together. I mean, depending on where you were in the school system, you might have learned times table by rote. Yeah. So you learn it not by reading it, but by repeating it over and over and over. Mm. But the majority of things now, it's literacy. Memory is literacy. Okay. So you read things and you remember them through reading. So the, yeah. So the, (laughs) what you mean, you, you read them and you, and you learn them. By that reading way. them, or or you mean the, the the having them written down serves as the as the memory. Well, th- that's an interesting point. We're going to come into that. The some of the sagas use books as memory aids. Okay. Not as memory itself, but as an aid to memory. All right. So we're going to come into some of those. And the writing down of things in books, or on pages, and. There's an example of a, a priest called Ingimundir. I beg your pardon? Ingimundir. Okay. And he's from the Guth Munda Bishop's Saga. 
Is he? He is. Okay. And he's a priest, and he basically sells all his stuff and goes travelling. Right. But he takes with him certain items that are precious to him. I'm just checking. I'm not going to have to pronounce him at any point, am no, I? No, you're fine. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. That's good. So he takes some of the precious items of his own and goes travelling with them. Okay. And while he's on a ship, the ship, it, some of his items are lost at sea. Right. And he makes it to shore... And there's one item in particular that he mourns the great loss of, and it's called a book chest. Huge big box full of books. Wow. And it's described as his heart's delight, and he's lost it. It's gone. It's in the ocean. And I can like imagine that's pants. quite a thing. That's like dropping your Kindle overboard with like 3,000 books on it. Yeah. But probably bigger kind of worse bigger and fewer books are we talking proper i mean what like paper books i was gonna say we're talking like like codex codex yeah codex books and this is when so books this is uh, do you know i don't know when this is okay sagas saga saga period saga period i'll have to go and look up what year this particular saga we'll stick it down we'll stick it in the notes it's fine okay if we remember lovely listeners we're going to stick it in the notes so he loses this book chest and he's gutted Mm. and so he prays it says he makes an intonation or an invocation that his book chest and the contents be returned to him as a priest and the chest washes up intact wow and when he gets to it there's only one latch catch working and the other two have been smashed to pieces right so he undoes this last latch the only one that's holding the whole chest together. And he opens it up and all his books are in there and they're all dry and they're all fine. Really? Yeah. That's quite a case. It is quite a case and he's very happy about it because he's now got his heart's delight back. Yeah. So the book chest... Chest, sorry. The bookcase in this is not like a case like our bookcases, but the book chest that he has is described as like a container so it contains knowledge and information and memory in there which is why he was so gutted when he lost it yeah so when he gets it back it represents this continuation of memory knowledge information that he's able to continue carrying on yeah the icelandic church history has a piece that is known as the hunger stirrer now, it doesn't have an author's name on it. It's an, it's an odd thing. Some of the sagas are very clearly have an author's name on it. And again, that's part of, like, memory. I wrote this. Yeah. I'm putting myself into this document. But there's an Icelandic church history called The Hunger Stirrer, where the author, who is anonymous, states that a book is an aid to memory. Okay. So it's not memory itself. It's not the whole thing that they rely on to learn that knowledge. Mm, mm. It's containing knowledge that they already know, but they're using it as an aid memoir, yeah. as a way of remembering. Okay. Which presumably means they can read. Yes. And write. There's well, some amongst them can write. Some amongst them can write, and some amongst them can read. Mm. There's lots of connections to bees. Bees, bees as in bees insects. As in okay. <laughs> There's lots of connections between bees and memory. Okay. In the sagas, which is a bit mad random, but a book or a place where knowledge is stored can be called a cellar. C e double l a. Yes. Yeah. And a cellar is where a bee stores nectar yeah. and it brings it back. From which we get cell. 
from which we get cell. Yeah. Piece, container, contained space yeah. that has stuff in it. And presumably cellar as well. Yeah, as cellar in as in basement. basement. Yeah. As in underground space that we put stuff in and then forget about it because it can just stay there. We do. So Casks of Amontillado and things. Uh, yeah. What? Well, if you... Should you ever need to brick anybody up in your cellar, uh-huh. a cask of Amontillado is generally considered to be an acceptable excuse for getting him down there. Moving on. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot of connections between bees who go out, collect nectar, and bring it back. Okay. So they, they, go, they go out, they collect stuff, they bring it back, they store it. Mm. And they transform it into useful stuff that they can do things with. So it's the same with books and memory. They're connecting the bees going out as in the knowledge is brought back, it's put in a book and it's stored. So there's lots of connections in the sagas to bees. Yeah, I can see that. John's Good analogy, saga actually. Helga covers this whole bee thing. Alrighty. Now we know something else connected with memory that is famed for going out across the nine worlds collecting information and bringing it back wait a minute wait a minute do it do it do it i can do this one do it do it do it do it do it i happen to know but i couldn't tell you what they're called oh i could hugin and moonin hugin and moonin yes thought and memory yes so one, Ravens, uh, in in the in, I was going to say in the service of in the orbit of the All Father. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So one of the All Father's ravens is called memory, literally okay. called memory. You've also got Mimir, Mimir being the one who remembers. Okay. Yeah, and Mimir's well. Mimi as well, I've heard of. A well containing wisdom and intelligence and memory and knowledge. All right. Yeah. So if you imagine for a minute a society where you don't write stuff down, Mm. you don't read stuff, you can't look anything up on your favourite search engine goes here, how do you get to learn anything? That is a naughty one. Because the only way you can get to learn stuff like trades... Mm -hmm. Somebody who builds houses, somebody who builds shoes, who builds ice skates, who uh, tans hides. Yeah. The only way you get to learn that is by learning it from somebody else who's learned it from somebody else who's learned it from somebody else. Yeah. So that's the only way that knowledge comes down. You don't get to just nip on YouTube and watch a series of five-minute videos. You cannot go do a Viking wiki how. <laughs> it's not going to work. Wiki how relative rarely does. No, no. sorry, sorry. The, the images are a source of constant amusement, though. It's just like, <laughs> you've done what now with an image? Okay, fine. So, Moonin, mm. one of Odin's two ravens, called literally called memory. And... The Allfather Odin has a lot of links to memory, and memory for the Vikings is more to do with knowledge. It's, it's equated with wisdom. Okay. The more you know, the more you can pass on. Hmm. The stronger the society gets, in a way. Yeah. Because you don't have a chance of getting knowledge from anywhere else. And the more your 
impact on the history becomes. Mm -hmm. Because if you're the one that's teaching the the future, yeah, yeah, you know, apprentices and whatever, they will go on and become and they'll say, oh yes, I learned this from such and such a master blacksmith master taught somebody me how really, to yeah. do this. Yeah, yeah. Such and such a master shoemaker taught me how to do this, so I'm now going to teach you how to do it. And thus that you make a mark. That becomes sacred that you send down the generations. Mm. So memory for those people becomes something absolutely fundamental to your way of life. Mm. If you break a pot and you've got nobody in your village that's a potter, you're going to have to trade for it or do without it yeah. or find somebody who's got the knowledge to make one. So it's quite, it's hugely valuable to them, knowledge, wisdom, memory. Yeah. The remembering of people. The memorials you get when somebody dies, somebody's name in the Havamal you get, somebody is not forgotten if you can still remember their name and their deeds. Yes. If there are generations that you teach those stories to, that person stays alive in the consciousness of the community. Yeah. So it's kind of all interlinked, and it's probably a little bit big for my brain. Well. On the night of a frithcast around a virtual campfire, <laughs> my brain's sparking off in a hundred different directions at once. So I'm going to come back and say that it guards... When they write things down, they're using it as an aid to memory. Mm. And also it, it guards against forgetting. In the prose edda, in the Skalskapamal, they say that writing a book guards against forgetting information. I can see it certainly could do, yeah. Yeah. In the King's Mirror, which is Norwegian, it's circa 1250, yeah. or take a year or two, the, there's a conversation between a father and son, like a question and answer, and we've seen some of the myths in the mid-cycle. In this kind of mythical question and answer not Socratic conversation, not Socratic argument, but this kind of question and answer Whoa. format as a way of delivering information to the listener or to the reader. Yeah, it is Socratic. I mean, that's that was, um, is it Plato wrote dialogues? But yeah, Socrates and Plato would do that a lot. They'd, they'd, they'd present arguments and uh, ideas and whatever as conversations between two between characters. Two char yeah, so you've got a father and son conversation in the king's mirror mm. the document called the king's mirror and the son says that basically his father and other people have said well after this conversation is finished take your memory and go and remember what we've said and write it down in a book okay so he does yeah so if we look at might even get some of it right mimir <laughs> yes <laughs> if we look at mimir so Mimir's he's somebody in the mid-cycle that you don't know a lot about. Okay. And if you go right back to the beginning of the mid-cycle, you have the Aesir Vanir War. I remember it well. Yeah. So Njord and Frey and Freya are the hostages exchanged from the Vanir to go and live in Asgard. The Vanir, just to, to remind myself, the Vanir tended to be sort of nature gods. Nature, kind, yeah. Didn't they? Nature, so nature aspects mm. of gods and goddesses. They went over to Asgard to live with the Aesir. Okay. Now, in a hostage exchange, you've got to have people exchanged back. And Mimir is the wisest 
of the Aesir, although you don't know whether he's he's on the Aesir side, but you don't know whether he's actually classified as an Aesir or a giant. Okay. But he goes over as a hostage to the Vanir. The again, another tangent though, but it's it's sometimes a bit difficult because we use this term giant. I think we talked about it before when yeah. we were talking about um is it Utgard? Probably. Giant, when Jotun, Etin, Hungry One. Hungry One, that's right. Hungry you said one. you said that, that giant um giants were sometimes described as hungry one. And it was like we picture giants as being these huge great beasts. Oh, huge great people, I should say. They're the but 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 big you know, physically in stature, and yes. this is the way we we uh, you know even in in um, Christian mythology and and Hebrew mythology, you Goliath. have the stories of Goliath and so forth, mm. and the the Nephilim who were supposed to be giants. But does it mean physically very big, which is the way a lot of people tend to interpret it, or does it mean giant in some particular attribute? Mm. So hungry ones, or with the Nephilim, it's you know the men of renown. And yes, in, in that yeah. sense, they were giants. Um, but there seems to there is an awful lot of this sort of inter, almost interchangeability between a lot of the, what I'll loosely call races in the in the in the Norse mythology. Because I know there's talk about whether the Dvergar were the same as the Svartalfar and all that kind of thing. Yeah, kind of gets a little bit. So it, yeah, so it's like if you were to say to me, well, okay, Mimir is a is it possibly a god, possibly a giant? It's like, well, what if the gods are basically a kind of giant i don't know it's <laughs> yeah well you don't get to find out a lot about mimir mm. mimir is given as a hostage to the vanir to go and live in vanaheim okay and while he's there the the vanir discover that they've given three of their best good ones up and they've got mimir in exchange which is great because he is the wisest yeah the the council of the All Father, Council of Odin. And in their understanding that they've been tricked in this bargain, because they've only got two hostages and they've sent three. Right. They kill Mimir, decapitate him. So now they only have one? Now they only have so one. So they're even worse off? Technically, yes. Okay. Skipping over that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They decapitate Mimir and Odin comes along and takes Mimir's head and he sings spell songs around it and he wraps it in leaves and herbs and it continues to live Okay. as a disembodied head. Okay. Yeah. So I'm kind of, I've got this image of Odin travelling back from Vanaheim trying to figure out how to carry this head. A head in a bag. Either... You know, he gets really rude on the person who was his ex-best counsel and puts him in the saddlebag and bounces up and down. Or he tries to kind of squidge him under his arm where he's all kind of squishy from the leaves and the squishy blood and the, the goo. And oh, how does he do it? Does he grab hold of the hair? I, I've no I idea. I don't it's just know. Just a really I mean, random image of... To be honest, at this point, I'm still just worried about the fact this poor dude has not only been murdered, but now he's got to come back and spend... How long? How long? As just a head. As just a head. And he continues being Odin's wisest counsel. And again, Mimir, the one who remembers. Mm. 
He is Odin's wisest counsel. He gives Odin wise counsel on what he has to do. So again, you've got that huge link between wisdom and memory. The more you know, the more you can remember, the more that you can know about a situation. And the Havamal tells us again, you know, fair wide, go and meet lots of people, get to know loads of things, because mm. then you've got a better chance of doing your thing than if you don't and you stay at home. Yeah, okay. Mimir's well is a well... He's not of... very well if he's only a head. Are you alright, dear? Talk amongst yourselves, listeners. We'll be back in a minute. Okay, Mimir's well. Stop it, woman. The well of Mimir. The well of Mimir. Thank you. Contains wisdom and intelligence. Okay. And again, memory, wisdom, intelligence. Mm. And the All Father sacrifices one of his eyes for a drink out of the well. Yeah, yes. Now I had heard this story. Yes. In order to gain that wisdom, and that this is... Yes. Carry on. Okay. I was just saying I'd heard the story. I was I was going to add more, but to be honest, there wasn't really an awful no, lot. No, there, there isn't a lot. So we don't know a lot about Mimir, but the fact that he is Odin's wisest counsel, and yeah. Odin goes back into Vanaheim to get his head and bring it back, tells me that... The All-Father values wisdom, he values intelligence, he values knowledge, he values memory. Knowledge is power. Memory is the thing that he's going for because it's in Mimir's remembering that he gets his counsel. Okay. So Odin will go to him with a situation and Mimir will go, I remember when we did this, this and this. And Odin goes, thank you very much, I'll mm. try that. Memory can be in landscape. And it can be in place. And that sounds a little bit weird. But... Well, not to me, but... <laughs> <laughs> if you think about where you are now, mm. and you think about somewhere you knew in your childhood, somewhere you maybe went on special occasions, you have memory attached to that place. Yeah. Your memory is attached to that place. Or so you think. Or so you think. Yes. We're going to come on to that bit in a minute. Okay. So memory is attached to that place and the Viking peoples were ones who travelled. So they could literally go and say, I'm going to tell you the saga of Eric the Red and if you look over there, you'll see the ruins of his farmhouse. Mm. I'm going to tell you the story of Beowulf and if you look over there, you'll see his burial mound against the cliffs. Okay. They put people into the landscape and the act of burial transfers memory and place and deeds of that person into the landscape which they then live in they're living within the memory of that landscape yeah i suppose they're saying oh that rock was where so and so stood when he taunted so and so that stream was where so and so crossed on his run away from the farm 
And we and we do it all the time. Yeah. And we do it ourselves now and they did it then. Yeah. It's also very prominent that memory is visual, it's in imagery. And if you look at a lot of the tales of the sagas and look at the descriptions of people who are prominent in the sagas, so either the saga hero or one of the major characters, and when you get to their description it will be quite vivid. Okay. It will be colours and descriptions. So Nial's saga is a is a really good example. Mm. In Nial's saga, the whole saga is named after Nial. Okay. So it's kind of his thing. But when you see him, you know, it says, oh, he's fair of face and he's, he's good at what he does, but he has no beard. So it's an instant visual marker. All right. That when you're listening to that saga, that's the bit of it that will stick in your mind. Okay. Like, oh, you get a, 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 a fabulous description of their clothes right down to the belt buckle. Yeah. And it's to fix that character in your head because your society is oral, not literate. Well, not literally literate, but... Yeah, it's... Predominantly oral culture. Yeah. So the more vivid imagery you have of your heroes, the more likely you are to remember them. Mm. So it's kind of a strange thing. Okay. This memory, and memory that they look at now, and what we know about how memory works now. In as much as we know anything about how memory... We do, obviously we do. Yes. We do have some ideas. It's not quite as straightforward as it seems to be to those of us who are using it. Yes. I had I did a, I did a course, only a short thing, it was an online course a year or two ago. It mostly concerned itself with the way the mind works mm. in various functions, and one of which was memory. And it wasn't necessarily sort of this is how things work because no. obviously when you get into into the mind into psychology and stuff it's a lot of it's a lot of kind of hypothesizing mm. and uh, you will do experiments and so forth and and you'll find that to some extent your hypothesis might be borne out and yeah you know but he would, he was explaining that the mind especially with regard to memory is a lot more of a sort of procedural generator than we tend to realise. So a lot of what we think we remember is actually the mind, basically, it's sort of like, uh, you know, when you take a a file on a computer Mm. and you compress it down, like you you compress a JPEG or put something into zip files or whatever, and and it basically takes this big file and makes it smaller by using sort of encoding to, to, to take, okay, this ramp, this string of characters can be reduced down to such a thing and then it will know how to unfold it later. Yeah. And the mind actually does something very similar. It, it will sort of, it will take what are the significant parts of something and you'll remember those, genuinely remember them. But when you come to recall an experience or, uh, you know, a memory of somewhere you've been or, or conversation you've had or something, depending how long ago it was, you'll find that quite a lot of it is actually your mind sort of trying to unfold from the little compressed bits of data that it's got and it will interpolate. Mm. So it'll sort of it'll sort of fill in a lot of the gaps and you will be convinced that's your memory. And one of the examples they gave was they did a they did a uh, it's, it's sort of a thing where if you go to a a restaurant for example mm. and you have a very good time at the restaurant 
and you've been talking to your friends and things beforehand about you're going to be going to be going to this restaurant. If you go and you have a good time, you will remember having talked to your friends and you will say to them, well, yes, of course, I'm, I knew it was going to be good because, you know, yeah, I've heard yeah. all these good things about <laughs> yeah, yeah, it and, yeah. and so forth. If you go and you have a bad time at the restaurant, you will say to the same friends something like, well, I, of course, I really knew that we weren't going to. It, it was a bit of a risk, you know. I'd heard some dodgy things about it, but we thought we could, you know, and you will, rem but you will remember that you had a conversation that corresponds with what you later found was the actual experience. Ooh. And you're not lying, you're not making it up, you're not necessarily trying to save face or anything like that, although that can be a factor, but you're actually, your, your, your mind is, because it hasn't bothered remembering what you actually said. Just knows you said something. It just knows you said something, and if, and and because it's drawing on experiences that you've had to try to work out what would be a plausible thing for you to have said, and by now it knows that you've had a good slash bad experience at this <laughs> restaurant, so it creates the memory of the conversation based on the information it's got, and so a lot of the things when you're talking about, I will shut up in a minute. It's quite all right, do but, you think? But yeah. when you when you're talking about putting, you know, sort of making visual imagery. Yes. Um, and you're saying, OK, well, we'll describe this character in great detail with lots of colour and lots of vivid descriptions. That's going to be the bit you remember properly, whereas a lot of the rest of the story might be, you know, it'll it'll have variations and spins and things depending on who's telling it, because they're basically remembering what they think the story was. But they know it's got particular beats and particular key points. Exactly, yes. Where so-and-so will do this and so-and-so will do that. Mm. But the bits in the middle... Yeah, I mean, the sagas that we have, we get them in several different manuscripts. So we get partial bits of them in several different manuscripts. And they might have slight variations in who does what and what happens. But the major beats of the story are pretty much the same. Yeah. So it's like... Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I know it well. And it's in several different iterations. There are films, there's a TV series, there's a series of books, there's radio. Yes. They're all slightly different stories, but they're all mostly the same. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like a modern day example of what we find in the sagas. Mm. Especially where it comes towards memory. You might remember that you really love Douglas Adams and that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is blooming brilliant. Yeah. And then you listen to the radio play and it's not quite how you remember reading the books. And then you see the TV film and you think, well, that isn't quite how I remember the radio play. But it's mostly the same, so yeah, I'll go for it. Yeah. But it's got difference. Or you might find that you particularly, you remember a scene you remember watching a particular scene in the TV show mm. and or in the film and you remember exactly what was said. You remember the characters, you remember the dialogue, you remember how it looked. And then you find that that scene isn't in the film. It's in the book. Mm. And you read it in the book, but you were visualising it. Were visualizing it. In the style of the film. I'm trying to think what. Well, there's a fantastic example. And again, I'm afraid it's going to have to be an in the notes job. But there's um, there's a sh is it like was it like a whole TV show? Or something that a load of people, even to this day, swear they saw this TV show, or they saw an advert, or there's there's a th something that they saw that they can describe in again in vivid detail, mm. and it's only when you actually dig into it that you find that it never actually existed at all. Okay. But there is this it, because there was this somebody at some point has said I I vaguely remember something. 
like that. And they've sparked this idea that other people have sort of glommed onto mm. and shared between themselves. And they've created a sort of a communal memory yeah. of this whole... I'm sure it was like a whole TV show or a whole film or something. Uh, and I will look it up, but but it didn't. It never actually happened. It was ne- it never existed at all. But people are people are swear blind that they remember going to see it or remember watching it on the TV or whatever it was. Yeah. So when you read the sagas, it's it's words that stay in a book, mm. but they are supposed to be an aid to memory. They're not supposed to be your whole memory. No. So this is, it's kind of a really interesting point for me in how we understand memory working now in a very primarily literate society. We have the internet at our fingertips. Yeah. We can choose to go and read any one of the sagas on any given day at any time. And somebody, even in when the sagas were being written, couldn't do that. No. They would, might have to travel between places to go and see copies of a manuscript. And then you've got to get round the tricky fact that you might not be able to read Mm. so memory then and what it was used for and memory now yeah kind of a whole interesting thing and I think I'm going to have to sit and reflect a little bit more on it and try and figure out where it goes what happens to it but maybe this is a bit of a springboard for you lovely lovely listeners around the virtual campfire hopefully so so we're kind of going to leave you there pondering you know, what memory is to you? What memories can you remember? What are your earliest memories? What are your fondest memories? What are the memories that you want to write down in a book so that you've got an aid memory for later? Mm. What things do you choose to remember and how are you choosing to remember them? And if you take two people who went to the same event, they will come away with very different recollections of what that is they will what it was what it was to them it's one of the um it's one of the reasons that eyewitness testimony in court cases we always treat it as though it's the absolute be all and end all people say oh circumstantial evidence evidence of circumstance is is um is 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 the stuff we don't want that's that that doesn't prove anything dna you want eyewitness testimony it's like no, it's the eyewitness testimony that is the least reliable. That's why you have to get so many people in yeah. and you have to work just on the things that they remember that are the same because there's going to be so much variation because, yeah. you know, people people see things, perceive things differently, remember things differently and will remember, will focus on different aspects of a situation. Yeah, so even <clears> when you're working <throat> in the sagas in translation... Mm. It's somebody's interpretation of somebody else's interpretation of somebody's memory. Yeah, and maybe. as you presumably <laughs> as you as you go down through the through the the, the tellers, yeah, you know through through you get different variations. Through yeah, you 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 will get different you will get iterations on stories. Yeah, little Slightly details added and added yeah. in and taken out and all sorts of strange things that happened that yeah so i kind of figured it was it would be interesting to do a little bit of an explore Mm. and maybe start you lovely listeners thinking about what are your favorite memories and did anybody else do those same things and what are your memories compared to their memories and yeah all of that kind of stuff and keeping it in mind when you go back and read the sagas of how they're looking at memory within those documents also bees bees were totally in there Bees, 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 very important. Bees, very important, and a raven that just 
just happens to be in there as well. That does not eat the bees. That does not eat the bees, which is probably a good thing. So, lovely listeners, we're going to leave you pondering around the virtual campfire. If you want to find us online, you can find me. I'm Suzanne Martin. I'm on Facebook as Suzanne Martin. I'm also on Twitter at Geetha in Jeans. And if you want to find me, I'm not terribly active on social media at the moment, but you can usually find me at my uh, terrible website uh, at glassrain.net. If you want to drop me a, a, a line there. I am on Facebook and Twitter, but I might yeah. take a little while to get back to you. Yeah, come and drop us a friend request. Come and say hi. If you kind of like the Frithcast episodes, you might want to come and join in the Frith chat, which is a group on the Frithcast page, and come and talk to other lovely listeners. Kate and I drop in every now and again with a packet of biscuits and a full kettle just to have a bit of a natter. Indeed. For, you know, an hour or two, and we see where everybody's up to, what you're kind of thinking of what we're doing, what questions you've got about the content we have. And you can find the group link at Facebook slash FrithCastPod, or just search FrithCastPod on Facebook and you'll find it. That will that will link you to the uh, chat page as well. Yeah. So, lovely listeners, we will talk to you all again very soon for FrithCast episode 83. 83. 83. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.